0: Snuff production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today.
1: Everyone relax, this is Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and today's episode is with Scott Edgar scod from tripod as some people will know him uh, tripod of the song in the hour challenges on uh, the triple j breakfast show back in the day with adam and i uh, of course tripod one of the most successful musical comedy acts not only in australian comedy history but in world comedy history currently uh in america they've just been in america at the grammys they were nominated for a grammy for some music they did with Montaigne and some others uh for a video game didn't win a grammy but being nominated for a grammy and going to the grammys is still pretty cool uh we did not talk about this uh that in this episode because it was recorded late last year Uh, But so many good things uh, in this conversation with Scott and I hope you're going to enjoy them. Uh, Speaking of great things, everything is now in this everyone relax feed. So you've got Tofot with friends, uh, which is conversations that I have or Charlie has with uh, various different people. You have our AFL adjacent podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, which is in season preview mode at the moment going through all the teams. But even if you don't know a lot about AFL football, neither do Charlie and I. And so the show, you don't need to know a lot about the footy to enjoy the show if you enjoy the conversations that Charlie and I have. And if you enjoy those conversations, you can also get them, of course, with new episodes of TOFOP recorded in person, face-to-face for the first time in a very long time. So we're very much enjoying being in studio, face-to-face recording episodes of TOFOP. So please have a listen to some of those in the Everyone Relax feed. Uh, also, Uh, I have some shows in Newcastle this weekend and next weekend. My What You Talking About Will improvised stand-up shows. These are the last of my run of Newcastle Comedy Club improvised stand-up shows because as of March, I will be on the road with my brand new uh, actual proper show, Will legitimate that I will be touring all over Australia. There are so many of those dates that are already on sale, comedy.com.au, but I think March the 3rd or March the 4th is opening night in Adelaide. If you are in Adelaide, come to the first night. Um, here's what I'll tell you. On the first night, you get to see what I thought the show was going to be, and I have a pretty clear idea of what I think the show is this year. <laughs> so uh, come on the first night and see uh, see if I'm right see how right I am about uh, uh, what the show is and what it is all about. It does change, of course, as it goes on. But uh, if you come on that first night, you get to see exactly what I imagined uh, the show was going to be. So Adelaide and then canberra at the canberra comedy festival that one's nearly sold out so if you want to come and see me in canberra i would recommend getting in very quickly for that Uh, a couple of weeks at the comedy theater for the melbourne comedy festival sydney and the enmore and the concourse but there's a whole bunch of other places too brisbane and all over the regionals of australia so comedy.com.au for all those details thank you so much for listening to the podcast i hope you enjoy this episode with scott edgar Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and this is how the show starts. I ask my guest who they are, so pretty, pretty simple. Aren't <laughs> right? Who are you? Jesus. I was hoping to find
0: that out by means of the process of the interview, but
1: yeah, this is how it okay. starts. Right? Okay, we, we start r- with off this. and running.
0: Uh, look, yeah. uh, I'm Scott. I'm Scott Edgar. Uh, you and I know each other, Will, through a, a long history in the comedy kind of world. Uh, you know, we... Long, long history. Long history. I think our emergence into that scene happened at pretty much exactly the same time, some, somewhere in the yes. late 90s. <laughs> at a very specific place. I remember our very first tour w- together was Adelaide Fringe uh-huh. in like whatever it was, 99 or something like that, was it? 2001.
1: Now, so is, is that the split bill?
0: No. The, were we
1: talking the Adelaide Cab- the one we did at the Adelaide Was that the Festival Centre? Festival Centre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And I
0: have so many strong memories from that world, from that, that tour, in, in, including Billy mm. Connolly on the, on the feed yes. in the green room because he was on the main stage.
1: I talk to people about this all yeah. the time. Now, my memory of this, tell me if this is also yeah. your recollection because I am a famous one for just remembering the bits of the story that are convenient for me to Let's tell see and the then story. Sure. constantly reframing <laughs> them to the point where I can't actually remember whether you are, this is exactly what happened or not. So you are, I'm in going other words, a human being. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also a person who t- tries to make stories more yeah. entertaining for a living. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for other people, you'd be like, oh, yeah, don't trust the word he yeah. says. He's a psychopath. Absolutely. But no, no, like, you've managed to monetize I, it. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this running theory at the moment that uh, when a a comedian goes to a therapist, the therapist says, like, okay, I've identified what your problems are. Now you have two choices. I can fix them or we can monetize (laughs)
0: them. We all clocked it in the 90s, didn't we? So, come on, what's your version of the the Billy Connolly story? Well,
1: I remember we would do a double bill, uh, so Will Anderson and Tripod, a half-and-half show, and then – we would come off stage, and because we were at the Adelaide Theatre Centre, or whatever it's called, the, the not the Entertainment Centre, yeah. Theatre Festival Centre. The, anyway, Festival, festival. Yeah. Centre, yes, right. So, ironically, not the centre of the, no, not
0: the festival, not anymore. Festival Centre. Yeah, I yes. mean back it then the, the Adelaide Fringe was every two years and yeah. it was all over Adelaide. You know, all over Adelaide. It wasn't like a, an amusement park like it is now.
1: No, so we were at the festival. Yes, the Festival Centre.
0: Yeah. There's a bunch of theatres
1: yeah. there. Uh, including uh, the big one that Billy Connolly was playing in. And my memory is that we would go to the green room, post the shows, or at least this is the version Mm -hmm, that I tell people, that we would go to the green room, post the shows, and there was a billiard table there, like a pool table, and we would play pool until Billy Connolly Told a story that he told the night before. That was that's what I tell people. Now I don't remember if that detail of it is exactly true, but
0: I think what, th- what's look, your memory? I think the core, the thematic core yeah. of it is much the same. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the pool table, <laughs> but I'm um, as we speak retconning that memory to in- now include yeah. a pool table. But yeah, no, he would. He, it was basically a different show every night. Like was. Yes. We were in awe of it at the time as fledgling kind of performers and comedians that he could come out and really, literally just certainly appear to be just sort of extemporising, just kind of having fun and telling different stories. And it was always great. Telling different
1: stories to a point where eventually he would start maybe telling Some of the same stories, but yes, the first like 45 minutes, hour, hour 20 would just be completely, of, you know, what was going to be a three hour show, would be
0: completely different. Insane. And it was, you know, you're just just learning the whole time, especially at that age. Mm. I mean, you you know, I think learning, hopefully you're learning your whole life, right? But, you know, that was just a real kind of wake up call to, you know, how to do this well. It was such a masterclass, just on a little television in the corner of of the green room, you know?
1: It's uh, like a long time ago yeah. now, and we were young men, mm-hmm, kids.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And uh, like all I had in a way, you know, I think if I'm being completely honest, because again, the stories sure. that you tell publicly yeah. versus the stories you tell yourself. Yeah. There's – I wonder if every kid has this and then it, when it works out, this is – but – I remember when I was like 15, I always say these things of like, oh, yeah, I was just interested in comedy and then I like fell into comedy and like, you know, I was around the scene and then things started to work out, you know, like very Australian (laughs) self-deprecating version of stories. But honestly, I think that from the moment I saw comedy, Mm there was just part of me that was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And also with the weird arrogance of being a 14-year-old, like there yeah. was just a part of my brain that was like, I reckon I could do that. <laughs> and, and what do you
0: think it was? Like was it the yeah. – because, you know, if look, if you look at a, a career in showbiz with, you know, open eyes and, and perhaps mm. a brutal kind of critical kind of mind, you just go, well, you just like having your ego fed and showing off, right? That's why, you know, when I look at my own career, that's why I was like certain amount of – you know, we can tend to lay altruism on over the top. Like we really want to help people communicate or, you know, give them something to think about, something to take home and to enrich their lives. And that might be the sort of the sort of runoff. But occasionally if I'm feeling a little, you know, unmerciful with myself, I'm just, you just want you just like people clapping at you, right? Like where do you think it falls for you?
1: Oh, well, I mean, back then, yeah. absolutely yeah. that would have been the motivation. I just think what you're reflecting is this, the thing that gets you into something yeah, often isn't the thing that, that keeps, keeps you, you going. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And in fact, if you knew, I just had this discussion with Larry Dean, yeah. the Scottish comedian the other day, and he was talking about the idea that if you knew how hard it was going to be that you wouldn't oh, start in the
0: first 100%, place. hundred percent, yeah. If it wasn't for naivety and a kind of lack of kind of strategy or, or kind of even taste, mm. you know, I certainly yeah. wouldn't have spent, you know, 30 years of my life in a three-part Harmonic comedy <laughs> cabaret <laughs> skit show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this is what, what I mean is I think at the start as a 14 or 15-year-old, like, yes, I think that like clapping and fame yeah. and attention and all those things are absolutely motivating factors Holy. in why you get into it. But the funny thing about the pandemic in particular for me was I realised that that wasn't – I knew that it hadn't been for years. Sure. But particularly during that time, I didn't miss any of that. Part yeah, of
0: absolutely. I
1: didn't. In fact, I felt, in a way, that my life was better without, like you know, riding the ups and downs
0: I of the attention cycle. Hundred percent agree. And I, I, I that's a, a disincentive for me in terms of showbiz mm. is what it does to me in my ego. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind of person I am when people are clapping me every night. Like I don't mm-hmm. like myself when I'm in that cycle. Um, so I do try and, so to answer your first question of who am I like, uh, okay, I've done all this tripod work, but I also work a lot in the animation space as a writer and a storyboard artist and a kind of concept development, you know, consultant. And what I love about that is you're doing the work and that's the work it's over there. It's Mm -hmm. not me. I'm not the product it's not about my ego it's actually just about my skills and what I have to say right you're sort of taking yourself out of it, and that's something that really appeals and really counterbalances the the live career, which as I say, can be you know um I think not super healthy for your ego.
1: I almost have a disassociative thing now, yeah. and I really respond to what you say because I think that that compartmentalising between the creativity and then the rewards of the creativity is such a tough thing and it can be intertwined. Totally. But also that person on stage that they're clapping at, that isn't me. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just a one-hour distillation of the most interesting things I thought in a year. (laughs) Like if you spread them out over like seeing me more regularly than that, you're (laughs) quickly going to become bored. And also you've spent
0: your entire career making it look like you're making it up as you go along, right? Like that's another skill that people don't necessarily kind of, you know, clock. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: But I do think that now, even though – there is a – like, I mean, being on stage, I do love that idea of trying to make it a really authentic experience. I really do feel like I am Scott doing animation yeah, for it's over there. this character. Yeah,
0: yeah right. And yeah. this,
1: this Will Anderson that I send out. To be on stage and be the person who like can do that job and be in that moment and that I, the real person, does sit a little bit behind the scenes pulling the string and like then when I look at those moments where my ego is being affected by whatever it is, I pull back to the the guy behind the curtain (laughs) and I can now laugh at that guy, yeah. I'm like, oh look at him. Yeah. Look at him, you know, letting his ego be in control of this moment or reacting badly I, I, or like what not seeing it with. I'm so
0: glad you can laugh at it. For me it emerges as just walking down mm. the street and then just suddenly going, Oh, I'm putting my hand to my face. I can't <laughs> believe I said that thing in two thousand and five. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so does that really like stay with you in that way? Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. Especially yeah. at the moment in this sort of conversation mm. that's going on about, you know, white male entitled you know, the, the kind of assumptions we, we are re-examining and so forth. And I'll think back on my professional conduct and just go, yep, that was fucked, the, the way that you would treat X or Y or, you know, the assumptions you made about what people owed you. That's a, you know, that's an ongoing project, I think, for,
1: uh, it, for me. It's a great, great one to jump in yeah. on, like, this early. I'm happy to talk about it because obviously – we're kind of the – I mean, who knows, yeah. actually, because we never know where we are in history sure. or how things are going to re And the American experience will show us that there's actually a huge – backlash yeah. against oh, like you know, any like one step forward can often come with like two really loud yeah. steps backwards yeah. you know a lot of that white male entitlement's not going to step aside so yeah easily that's all well, that's right
0: and also we're <coughs> in that sort of progressive creative bubble where we're, we we mm. are required to make those kinds of assessments a lot of people aren't you know
1: No. So it's in that in itself is a privilege. (laughs) It's the privilege. It's yet another, you know, (laughs) like example of the privilege is the privilege of being able to contemplate these things. That's right. And also always contemplate them as an intellectual exercise. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's even, I was talking to somebody about that though, they'd made some comments about the voice and they were surprised at, you know, the backlash they got from people. And I said, yeah. And guess what? because this person was also a white, sure. you know, a white yeah. straight middle 40s yeah. man, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah, I know, but you can get off Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't, like, imagine for the people who are actually these people all the time who have to deal with this all the time.
0: totally, Yeah, 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 no. So,
1: so when you reflect yeah. on that, because this is the interesting sure. conversation to me is that how much, how rigorous are we in our self-examination and how do we rationalize it going forward? So I think it's important to do what you yeah. do and evaluate and say, I'm glad that I, like, yeah, I, I'm embarrassed about this way I behaved mm-hmm. in that period of time or this way I reacted or the way that I saw the world at the time or the fact that I was blind to these, yeah, the struggles yeah. or how much harder it might have been for other people because I was too self-involved in my own struggles, all those sort yeah. of things. And it's good if you then use them as constructive building blocks to move forward and be a person that you can be more proud Mm. of. But how do you not get stuck with – I think that a lot of this reaction to cancel culture, you can't say anything anymore, is people worried – that they said something or did something 20 years ago yeah. that was reasonably appropriate to the times. Yeah. The one that I I guess this is a long winded sure, sure, sure. way of like framing yeah. this, but I think it's worth just spending a little bit of time framing it so we can talk about 100%. it. Like, I believe that, I guess the one that I come to in the end is don't judge yourself too harshly for doing something if you didn't know. Yeah. But once you know, but learn. And also, yes, don't refuse to know because that's the other thing. Like There are some people who are constantly walking around with their fingers in the ears going, la, 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 I'm not listening. So how do you, yes, so when you walk down the street and you slap your head and you say, I can't believe I said this in 2005, how do you then process that and rationalize that and work that through that? With who you are now.
0: Well, I mean, look, you can't get you can't get paralyzed by what might have been, right? What everything you've di- you've done, you've done. There's no multiverse. That's bullshit. You are you, and you you are in a place where the consequences of your decisions are fact. You know, so you can't live in the past and wish s- things had gone another way. But what you can do is is uh, is analyze it and try and be better and try and kind of have your antenna up going forward and, and you know, try and sort of uh, apply those kind of lessons. So it is it is a case of really debriefing with yourself about, you know, when I was young and better looking and had more money and on the road all the time and, you know, people around me whose literal job it was to tell me what I wanted to hear and to get me what I wanted, then, you know, I'm not super proud of a lot of the things I, you know, a lot of the ways I acted. Uh, back then, but what I can do is is you know be hard on myself now and hold myself to a better standard of course it 's easy to say that, but then you kind of realize oh shit i 'm a fifty year old guy and I still <laughs> have a lot of the kind of you know <laughs> habits that I learnt back then i was i 'm not young and arrogant anymore i 'm old and an old nufty i was at <laughs> I was at a party and i fully i fully mistook one uh, young Asian woman for another. Uh, honestly, only mm-hmm. recently as I was leaving, I went and said, I've just been meaning to say say hello to you. Uh, I haven't seen you for six months. It's great to see you. And she's like, I'm not that person. I'm this other person. You know, and so like you just... it it's just constant, you know, and it's a, you know, we're in the creative art.
1: I mean, a lot of people also think I'm Adam Hill.
0: <laughs> like, so, yeah, I mean. Like it can. Yeah, oh, I got told only last week how great <laughs> that four, four chord song I do is.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, look, it happens. Some she of them just people aren't too. paying enough attention, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know.
0: <laughs> look, I was a bit uh, under the weather substance-wise at that moment, so I can't, you know. Too hard on myself. <laughs> Look, you're never immune. Is the point? Like we're so, yeah. especially people who are blessed with a little bit of horsepower upstairs, are very, very good at uh, you know d- deceiving yourself, right? You can do it in lightning, lightning mm-hmm. speed. So, just try. I, I just try not to do that. I just try and kind of be vulnerable, you know, to myself. Allow myself to accept that I have made mistakes, and there's plenty to learn yet. And also, try and get excited about the the, the opportunities that you know, this conversation that's going on offers people like you and me because it genuinely is the case that if I'm working on a project and it's all white guys my age, it's a far more boring experience and the work is going to be less kind of kind of vibrant than if there are different voices in the room with different... Ex- that's That's a fact and that makes my job more fun too, right? So you've got to kind of grab those opportunities, you know?
1: There's no point... I think this all the yeah. time. The one person you will not find in the writing room for any of my shows is anyone who looks yeah. like me yeah. or is the same age as me yeah. because you've already got me. Yeah,
0: precisely. Like, that, I,
1: I, can handle, I can handle what old white guys Yeah, think. Yeah, well, that's where I'm at too. That's where I'm at too. And at a certain
0: point, you know, just to be kind of, just to be frank, <laughs> that's where Tripod is kind of at too. You know, we're kind yeah. of looking at each other going, well, we've yeah. had an amazing time, but really it is three old white guys with from exactly the same part of Melbourne whose birthdays are within six months of each other. So, you know,
1: it's... it's Well, it's just one perspective. Yeah. That doesn't de- delegitimize no. the perspective, but it's...
0: No, I'm it proud ends... of our work, but, you know, yes. like I, I totally, it, you know, I, I'm also totally excited by, by being called out for something I've said that doesn't make... that you know, doesn't hold up to scrutiny from any other perspective, you know.
1: So, how do you then, like, balance mm. not being – because if anyone, as you said, we're all human beings and we've all made mistakes yeah. and if you had a open-eyed and realistic look at your life, yeah. then – I mean, like, it's ridiculous to think that any of us are perfect and part of the process love- of learning how to – like, I, I think that – If we get rid of the capacity for people to get things wrong, Mm. then I I don't think that that necessarily leads to better people. completely Because I think that many of the things that I hold as core values as an adult that I think I would point to and go, these are good things about you, have come out of me doing the opposite or something different to that and not liking the way that it made me feel, I was like, that's not me.
0: That's how we learn.
1: Like, you It's know, how, how we learn in, in the schoolyard,
0: so, right? You know, we, mm-hmm. we act mean towards someone and see the sad yeah. look on their face and realise, oh, shit, I better not act mm-hmm. mean towards people. You know, like we, we learn by making mistakes. It's just so fundamental, which is, you know, to sound like an old guy, what is the concern about the whole sort of the absolutism of, of, of what we sort of talking about when we mention sort of cancel culture and so forth? It's like, you know, do you judge people buy the very worst thing they've ever done and then write them off forever or do you give people a chance to to learn, you know, and improve because that's exactly what the human experience is all about?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there is a difference between going, look at like what Tripod said in a song 20 years ago and then if – but then looking at the next 20 years and going, oh, they never said anything like that again, which indicates to me that – they um, you know, change that. Like if you were still writing that same song or doing that same thing, uh, or yeah. I'm, and I'm not thinking of anything. Oh, I am. Here. I'm just. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might be. That's a real raw test <laughs> yeah. where I just <laughs> say that and whatever you were thinking of, you know what it no, is. I know exactly what it is. Now. But but the song wasn't written in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's it's great to be able to show people. Hey, I used to believe this, or I said this once without ever thinking about it, like or what it meant or the culture or at the time this was the, a word that everybody was using I, so totally. for example here's a one that i can really point to that just immediately springs to mind is there was a period in our early comedy careers yeah. where everyone had a joke about a little person sure right? Do you 100% that? i remember and they were yeah. And they were not using the term little no. person, which I believe is the, like, the correct
0: they term were at using the time. The, but the Snow White term was, was what was yes, used. Yes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, that's a nice way to put it. Yes,
1: they were absolutely, that was Snow White privilege. <laughs> 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 but it was a thing yeah. like throughout comedy, like a, the kind of the equivalent of a meme that went around the live scene. Sure. and
0: We didn't think anything of it. It was anything. understood, you know. Whereas now, you clearly, if
1: somebody suddenly came out and was doing that sort of material, they would be doing it to intentionally be
0: a provocateur, you know. Or they're young and still learning and, you know, absolutely. I mean, also this sort of kind of dovetails in with this idea that people have of creative people that we are somehow, I don't know, I mean, we're we're people. We're we're working Mm. away. We're trying to do this thing. We make (laughs) mistakes. We kind of think maybe this will be good. We go out there. We realise it was a mistake. We get back. We fix it. You know, I, I, I had an overwhelming sense from people of the when the Get Back documentary came out, right? Of like, oh my god, they're just in a room trying to work this stuff out. And, you know, <laughs> it's like no shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, what did, what how, did, you, what did you think it was?
1: Yeah. In fact, if anything, that still gives people too much of an idea that – like, I mean, because there is that moment in that documentary, at least, where, like, you know, the Get Back actually kind of does just come out almost – I mean, three quarters, you know, like, what what they didn't do enough of, even though that was a long documentary, is going, yes – but that was literally like half a percent yeah. of the rest 100%. of the time.
0: And also that scene specifically <laughs> shat me to tears because, you know, everyone else might be focusing on Paul, Paul McCartney yeah. sitting there writing Get Back mm-hmm. and it's it's emerging as the song we know. I'm fixating on the, the other two on, on Ringo and George sitting opposite him watching and yawning like he's a fucking vending machine. I'm like, at least get him a fucking coffee. He's creating a career for you out of his out of whole cloth and you're just gonna sit there waiting, tapping your foot. <laughs> Yeah, so that landed pretty different, that documentary in our yeah. house. Because meanwhile, Emily's like these young, rich, entitled fucks with all these people hovering around them trying to make their, their their merest whim come true. You know, oh, maybe we'll do a gig in Malta. Maybe we'll do a gig in, you know, Wembley Stadium. Like these these, these are just, these are kids, you know, and the whole culture of that kind of, I think fairly toxic, kind of, you know, celebrity. It's just fully on display in that documentary. It's just, it's just not this, it's just not something that's focused on, you know?
1: And then it was all sort of uncharted. Yeah. It was new ground. Yeah. So, like, we see it through today's eyes, but it's so funny that what you're saying, because we know that there is a line between the songs of the Beatles. It's why that movie yesterday did you ever see that oh yeah richard curtis movie where like he wakes up in the world where they never wrote the beatles songs Mm -hmm. and there's like one throwaway joke about oasis not existing Mm. either but more accurately if there were no beatles Mm. like all music changes forever because so much of modern music is based on the beatles but also so much of modern celebrity yeah that idea of Crowds of, you know, teen girls, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I know Elvis was, you know, before the Beatles, but that pop band, boy band style phenomena that's still, I mean, that's, you know, BTS and, you know, K pop is still just a modern version on what the Beatles were going through back then. And they also, they
0: also sort of created the blueprint for the musician who was also kind of a, a variety entertainer as well, you know, who could actually interview well and make and be, you know, be a personality and tell jokes and all that kind of side of it, you know.
1: Do an interview, be in a movie, yep, yep, yep. do a talk show appearance, yep. become a celebrity, mm. become a cultural commentator in the case of John Leonard yeah. eventually, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. You know, look, you know, more power to them. I mean, great ba- – I'm a huge Beatles fan, but yes, that mm. – it even thing. shocked me when people in my own, yeah, imagine that. Old white man, big Beatles fan. That's a Batuta Advocate title right there.
1: <laughs> but, okay, so, I mean, like we don't, I'd love to talk about you and your passions and your view on the world, but, like, you know, people know you from Tripod and we started with Tripod, so, like, and you're you talking about that idea of like group dynamics. Yeah. You know, you work with somebody for you know 30 years, yeah. and like you know, like very few groups like even make it. That I mean, the fact that like to keep an original lineup together, oh, the fact man. that it isn't you know, <laughs> there, there hasn't, someone hasn't been replaced. The some someone
0: has. Oh. Factoid. Um, right. Originally, <laughs> this is for the right? yeah, yeah Originally, yeah. right? Not, not yes. last week. Yeah yeah. Gatesy is no. <laughs> okay. in a shallow grave outside of <laughs> Bermagui. Um, <laughs> no, um, we started doing uh, as a trio. It was me and Yoni mm. and a guy called Carlos Zyde, who in fact thought of the yes. name for the band. And he we played in the early nineties, you know, around town. And then Carlos went off to do music theatre. He went off to do Whopper, and another guy, Mark Doggett, joined. And so Gates is actually the third guy oh. in the middle, mm-hmm. but he was the one that stuck. He brought he brought those uh, years of experience because meanwhile he'd been playing at Dracula's every night, so he had like yeah. all this flight time. He was ready. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. That's he right. Was, he was right. To yeah, go. yeah. So yeah. that sort of put a, put a fire <laughs> under the whole thing, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do, do you guys, or have you over the years? Like, did you have a plan for being in a group? Like, I, I don't – I'm not here to explore the actual group dynamics yeah. or – like, but, like, was there a plan to manage – the group dynamics, have you guys had it like a, because obviously I'm a solo artist. Yeah. When I've worked with teams, it's always been under the structure of this is a TV show yeah. or this is a radio show and everybody has assigned roles yeah. and like there is a power structure and eventually this is how the decisions are made. Yeah. Whereas when you're in a group
0: like, it's totally like ad hoc. of three people, yeah. you're yeah. just how sort of making it up work? as you go along, right? Mm. And so, you know, at a certain point it's kind of a whirlwind and you're just like, well, we have to be it. At- you know, triple R by X and we have to write a song by Y and, you know, then we have to be on stage in Brisbane at, you know, and you're kind of just <laughs> sprinting and you're not yeah. thinking much about it, right? But in those few moments when we would take a breath, I wildly kind of vacillate between what I think about, you know, how we kind of did it because essentially we have, we try really hard to be super civil to mm-hmm. each other, Right. But what that can sort of translate into is is passive oh, yeah. aggressiveness and things yep. not going, things not things going unexpressed mm. and so forth. So I, I occasionally will say like I wish we'd fought yeah. more. Do you know what I mean? And just had stuff out in a kind of more sort of passionate kind of uh, you know open way. But, and but if we had, maybe we wouldn't still be playing together. But then you go, well, what's to, what's good about thirty years? Maybe we should have like done it for twenty years and and kind of going to surprise you know who, who knows when i, look, I was I,
1: touring the u.s uh i was yeah. in a place called minnesota and yeah. uh, um they have an expression there called minnesota nice and uh uh-huh. everyone there is so polite right so That's nice F- fargo territory yeah. right
0: minnesota, minnesota. Yeah. And
1: yeah. prince as well though so it's like a real oh, sure. you know yeah. like a real melting pot of like but yeah they're so nice but Everyone always says it's like it kind of there is this underlying unresolved. It's it's a little bit natural to get angry or yell or out, and sometimes that can resolve something. It can can get rid of of the pressure right? Yeah, Because yeah, otherwise yeah, the absolutely. pressure simmers like a pressure cooker with it everybody really does. being and nice it ex- and then explodes, yep, yep. right? And then it explodes
0: yep. very dramatically yep. about once every year, sometime <laughs> in March, about two weeks before the comedy festival. I mean,
1: that seems like the right time, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> if you were charting it, that does seem like the right time.
0: I mean, just take three, you know, male egos, multiply it by fame and money and then turn the screws on on having to, you know, Put out stuff that's worthy of the fa- of, of people's attention, right? Like, so there's a lot of pressure, and you can imagine that it all gets pretty dysfunctional in that little in that little environment. Did you have a idea that it would last? I mean,
1: because you obviously the fact that you know you, you had like you and like you you and Yoni had basically stuck with it. Like, you know, two guys have moved on, right? (laughs) (laughs) So so that indicates that there was some, you know, you didn't say, oh, well, we've given it a couple of goes, let's pack this up. So there was clearly some ambition there at the start to do something. Did you have any idea of what that something, what did you want it to be, I
0: guess? I think what I wanted it to be at the start was a... Quite honestly, a springboard to my individual career subsequently, yep. right? Uh, and, and that was always the plan. Get You know, tripod's going great, people are loving it. At some point I'm going to kind of, you know, pull the ripcord and go and sort of do other things, right? But it's just interesting gigs just kept coming in, right? Like it's all very <laughs> well to say oh, I want to go and, you know do my other stuff, but then the M- Melbourne Symphony Orchestra call and say, can you write yeah. us a show? It's like as if, as if you're not going to do that. Right. That's an that's an amazing thing, right? right? Or, you know, writing for video games yeah. or whatever it's been. Your and other thing you know, has to be pretty compelling to
1: turn down yeah,
0: those things. Yeah, to turn down those things, right? And so <laughs> at, at a certain point you kind of, I don't know, I mean, look, I'm super proud of, you know, 30 years of, of, the, of generally okay work, you know, um, but one does wonder you know what what um and again you don't want to get too caught up in this cuz there is no alternate universe but um you know what, what what happens if i if i leave 15 years ago like what does that look like you know but it just it never it just uh, never happened you know, cuz the gigs were my fun. big
1: one is i've always wanted to be like i say this all the time and it is true that yeah. i all i've ever really wanted to be in life was a stand up comedian I didn't sure. want to be a TV person or like a radio yeah. person or like, oh, I mean, podcasting yeah. hadn't been invented, you know, like, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've written books, but I never really even had great ambition to like write books. Yeah. Again, interesting things that came along that distracted right. me from the thing that now I've got to still do that thing, but I have mm. never in my life been a fo- well, since my first two years of comedy. I have never been a full-time professional stand-up comedian because I've always had a TV show or a radio show or like some other project that has run like, you know, at the same time concurrently with what else that I'm doing. And I do think all the time if I have a regret, like that version of what would have happened – what if yeah. I just dedicated myself to the thing that I love the most, rather than be distracted totally. by these? Totally. I mean, that's probably just well, that I... we're two middle-aged
0: men reflecting yeah, on I our mean, choices, course. right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, as you should, right? Like, what can I learn, right? What can I learn from a, from a clear-eyed assessment of my of my decisions thus so far? <laughs> and,
1: and, and and we might have both like fucked it up, by the way. That's the other thing. Oh, no question.
0: Right? Yeah, maybe this. Yeah, maybe it's like uh, everything everywhere. All at yeah. once, we're, at, we're movie premieres and just being king of the world in some other in some other land. Maybe this is the reality where we made every wrong decision,
1: or <laughs> vice versa. What if we had left to pursue our passion and fucked our lives?
0: That's yes, the other one yeah, too, right?
1: Exactly. What, what is, happened yeah. to him? <laughs> <laughs> Mark's back in Tripod and the <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> biggest act on the planet.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I studied a uh, uh, theatre design. Yeah. I was a set, theatre set designer and theatre lighting designer when, um, when Tripod took off. So in a way, Tripod is that distracting mm. gig that comes along and takes your eye off the ball, you know. And I'm kind of, you know, I work quite a bit in animation, storyboarding, you know, visual sort of stuff these days and um, in some ways it feels like coming home, you know, so it's a a kooky thing. But when it's happening, of course you're going to grab it by the tail and just see where it takes you, you know. Like who gets to say, you know, I've gone around all around the world and and played to different crowds and met these amazing people and learnt these awesome things. This might
1: seem like a weird question considering the level of success that Tripod has had uh, and all the amazing projects that you've got to do, you know, through Tripod. But it was funny. I was listening back to Adam and I have been thinking about it's 20 years since we finished (gasps) doing the radio next year.
0: Yeah. And
1: so we were thinking about doing something together to commemorate that, like a a show. Like maybe maybe even at Manning Bar where we had our final show, we could have like a 20-year anniversary of the final show or whatever, something. We we don't know what yet. But – it's yeah. made me nostalgic for those times and not yeah. because this was the time where th- nothing was recorded or stored. There's actually sure. very little um, recorded memories of stuff yeah. that was on that show. In fact, some of the only <laughs> stuff that survives is the tripod song in an hour challenges. And they yeah. like there's, you know, records of a whole bunch of them. Yeah, those. there's a lot of them.
0: I circle, well, let's circle back to that. Finish your point. I want to tell it. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I'm going to get you onto that
1: anyway, which is like, because I I listened back to a bunch of them where we would give you this challenge of all these things that you had to put in this song and write this song in an hour. And you would. You know, we yeah. didn't we oh, it was we awesome. did not trick it. Fun. Like we didn't. Yeah. It was literally <laughs> what it said on the box was what yeah. we did.
0: <laughs> oh, totally. I think the option was presented yes. to us that maybe you want to know hmm. it the day before and you know come in prepared and what? we're like, "Nah. <laughs> Firstly, it wouldn't be as yeah. good. Secondly, it'd be way more uh-huh. work." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, part of the fun is that we only have one. an hour.
1: Like that is yeah. but I look back Absolutely. on some of the work you produce for that and I just think yeah, you know, it's world class. Like, it was one of those things oh, that people you, should have been constantly talking about the fact that you did this incredible thing, that you would write these comedy songs that, like, I mean, all of them were great. But one in every three honestly could have been, like, we intentionally sat down to write this as a comedy yeah. song. It was we were, so creative. We were. It was
0: songwriting it was songwriting yeah. university it was creativity boot camp that that experience it it, it, it was uh, so many lessons came out of that just in terms of how to keep it moving if you like and if you, you know if you pitch an idea and it doesn't get up don't stop the train and try and argue mm-hmm. for that idea just keep moving you know be open um, you know efficiency spontaneity all those things that we needed you know that we 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 needed to learn we learned through through that that show it was amazing and we have tried to simulate those conditions in the rehearsal room like sometimes you'll have a kind of an idea for a song up on the whiteboard and you would be like well you know we used to be able to write this in an hour let's just give ourselves an hour and write it and then you get to the end of the hour and you're halfway through verse one it's just totally (laughs) different you can't you can't simulate going on having to go on national radio and sing this song as a motivator do you know what I mean it was an it was such a great experience
1: so, the lessons of the timeline. So, that's what you're talking mm. about there really is the idea of- In that of case. A, a deadline, right? Because there's a power in a deadline oh, with man. creativity.
0: Yes.
1: It's often the yeah. fact that, I mean, I literally approved the art from next year's show and the title yeah. recently. Like they're both signed off. Like I haven't yeah. started right in the show, but we're booking shows. Like, I mean, you know, oh, like yeah. you have to book the yeah. the venues and the tour posters oh. will go out and that will be, that will fire my creativity enough to be able to fill 100%. that space. But
0: Yeah, I feel like creativity, one of the great motivators is um, fear, yeah. you know, <laughs> fear of standing there with your pants down, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> so what is that? And then when you do something like animation and you're using cre- your creativity in that way mm. and it, like is the deadline still something that fires creativity
0: or a hundred percent yeah 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 i mean i will always set up deadlines for myself with clients or with myself whatever it is but particularly if there's a third party if there's another person you know that you have to answer to it doesn't have to be 300 people in a theater it could just be this one person but if you show up and you you know you don't have your shit together, that's embarrassing. You know that, right? So it's just fear of embarrassment. keeps the career going. Fear of embarrassment and fear of starving. Those are the two.
1: Yeah, well, that's the main one. You know, we were talking before about why is it that I do comedy. I do think with the skills that I have as a human being, you know, on this planet, you know,
0: like – what else am I going to do? What
1: am I going to do that would make me as much yeah. money? Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that this makes me so much money, but I'm saying there's no other choice that I could make with my limited range of skills.
0: Especially now, right? right. Like, you know, people aren't looking to train up, you know, 45-plus white guys, you know, into a new position. That's well, I don't know how to for work that. in an
1: office. I've never worked <laughs> in an office. I don't know
0: what goes on. <laughs> <laughs> totally, oh, it's a mystery. I just want to circle yes. back to this anecdote about the song in an hour um, album yes. you mentioned because do you remember we were sitting at a table at the Arias with some ABC people, or maybe I wonder if we were sitting at the same table. But you came by and you were sitting down. And we were chatting about it, and this is one of when, when one of the song in an hour albums just came out. It was the second one, and you sort of said, and, the, and the, we were with the person that you know, the ABC person that had put the album out. And you were like, oh, "I love the record." Um, why is there fifteen seconds of silence between every every track? And it was you, and you know, we and the people had made the record. We were all there, and all the all the blood just drains out of our faces at once. And you were the one that rang the bell on the fact that we'd released these faulty CDs out into the world in in their thousands that had to be the, then recalled because the there was a uh, intro tracks between each song to contextualize it that for, for whatever reason had not worked and just was coming across as silence anyway i was just wondering if you remember, <laughs> I that. Don't it a, remember it a, that it was a, it was a rather a shocking thing to find out at the Arias where you know you know you're supposed to be kind of king of the world it's a know?
1: great example though of the fact when i tell people that i've listened to things i have yeah. because
0: yeah no that's what impressed well, me well
1: yeah. i One of the things I love about doing this podcast is, again, it's kind of the idea of deadlines because I could go and listen to the Song in an Hour challenges whenever I wanted or like I I told you I was talking to Larry Dean, the the Scottish comedian, like – I watched his special and listened to his album because I was going to talk to him on the podcast. It was the deadline of the yeah. podcast and totally. not wanting to yeah. be embarrassed in front of him not being up to date in his, in his world. But really yeah, exactly. it just gave me an excuse also to enjoy, you know, some comedy songs I liked or like listen to the well, special, you know. And
0: I can genuinely watch cartoons mm. and know that I'm yeah, actually working. putting in a day's right. work. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah (laughs) there's also that I think that you know that's that's the idea of going I want my job to justify something that I quite like doing regardless
0: for sure and it pays Mm. to always remind ourselves of that what a luxury Mm. that is like not a lot of people get to do that or get to come home at the end of the day invigorated or, or revitalized or having really enjoyed the challenges of the day like yeah you know, a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. you know, so you have to remember remember to appreciate it. Do you it like. find
1: that you come home different from or like you know uh, you might be working from home? <laughs> I don't <laughs> but, <laughs> bit of both. But yeah, but do you think that like from like an animation job versus, say, being on the road doing comedy, do you do mm. you come home as different people?
0: Very much yeah. so. yeah, I mean, look, my wife is probably the right person mm-hmm. to answer that question, but um, you know, look, when just in terms of tripod, when you're when you're in the same room with the same two guys for 30 years, like at a certain point it becomes like a family, which is great in some ways, but the other thing families do is they have fights without needing to do any of the build up to the fight. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I'm going to get annoyed at you now because yeah. I know what you were going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Right? Cuz I know you so well, right? Cuz and we've got all these patterns and that becomes really frustrating, right? So at the end of the day you do feel like there's certainly headwinds yeah. in that scenario to feeling just creatively sort of fulfilled whereas it's a you know a negotiation and it's hard work in a writers room. You, you I mean, you know, it's it's like it can be really fun, but it can also be it's really taxing and draining and, you know, when there's internal dynamics going on there and sort of, you know, uh, uh, habitual dysfunction, it can be an exhausting thing at the end of the day.
1: And also if sometimes part of that dysfunction is part of the process and you're not sure. Totally. You're not sure which bits are, like, sometimes you're like, is this grit – necessary grit. That's what I have to ask. Is this this good grit? Because if there's no grit, that might also be a problem creatively, I mean. That is so
0: true. So true. Absolutely. I'm like, I'm standing there going, guys, you know this chorus (laughs) you're trying to write that you've been trying to write for 45 minutes? do you remember that we already wrote this yeah. chorus an hour ago? <laughs> Are you pitching a different chorus or have you actually forgotten that we've already written, you know? And then you're kind of going, am I the control freak here? Am I stopping the process or am I keeping it moving? Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's hard. It's confusing sometimes. Well, they're
1: not clearly delineated uh, roles and sometimes no, sometimes no, we don't even true. understand them. It's about yeah. a mix, right? But then that's like, right. Like and, the, if yeah. you put too much of... Like something, they're all ingredients. And if you put too much yeah. or too little of something, the mix or too is. too little, wrong.
0: yeah. So there's this Monty Python sort of anecdote you've probably heard of, of to do with the parrot sketch, the provenance of the parrot no, sketch. I'm not sure they're The dead yeah. parrot, right? So, um, which is a, you know, became a classic. So John Cleese has worked all weekend to write this sketch in, in very kind of you know, detailed kind of dialogue and, you know, the flavor of it, the setting, the rhythm, it's all there. The script is all there about a guy who goes back to a toaster shop because his toaster doesn't work, right? And he's reading this whole thing through to Graham Chapman, who's sitting there smoking Mm -hmm. his pipe, dealing with a hangover and Chapman's, you know, four word contribution is make it a parrot, right? Now, (laughs) by... Volume. <laughs> I, mean, I can't believe that I have not heard that story. That's such a great story. Isn't it? Yeah. And people take it as like you never know, you know, you never know what people's contribution is going to be, what the magic of that sort of spin on the ball mm. is going to is going to get you, right? And you can't necessarily assess contribution by, you know, word right. count, right? Which is all true, which is absolutely true. But it also, it's another one of those, it's like get back. It's sort of, from my point of view, it kind of shoots me because, you know, if there's any kind of parody in that relationship, the next thing that happens is Chapman gets out the script he's been working yeah. on all weekend, right, and gives John Cleese a chance to be the spin on the ball guy. But do you think that's what happened? No. Do no. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs>
1: yeah, I, so it's kind I get of, I have a mixed feeling about it. Like that, I, yeah. I like the idea of even like if it's coloured by your own like personal experience. Clearly, yeah. like, but. Yeah, but in general, like that idea of yeah, but what was that like for the rest of them is a good That's right insight into the world because yeah. it's that classic thing of even just that perspective. I remember watching you know reality bites in my I guess like late teens, early twenties. That must yep. movie must have come Sounds out, about right? And. Yep. Totally at the time, thinking that I, all I wanted to be in like life was Ethan Hawke's like you know character yeah. in that movie. I even like had a goatee, had the similar color hair, you know, the whole <laughs> like life attitude. Yeah, yep. totally get this. Tried to rewatch it that movie as an adult, and I was just like, he's a terrible person. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's not a good person. Like you know, yeah. Ben Stiller's character might be slightly annoying, but honestly, he's a good guy. Like he's trying to look yep. out for you know Winona Ryder's character. He, yeah. He's, yep. he's, he's yep. You know he's got a stable job. He's just trying to do his thing <laughs> He's trying to best, do the right thing. Know, like. Yeah. <laughs>
0: he's trying to put the work. Not the coolest <laughs> guy in the world, but like he, <laughs> he's doing his thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. And look, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's all just you know. You. It's never an either or. Uh, you know. Proposition. Well, that's part isn't of it, right? Isn't? Like, yeah. Yes. Um, you know, but I would, I would feel, you know, I do, I would feel better if Chapman just didn't sort of cruise on, Mm. you know, being this touched by God genius. I think that can be a really dangerous sort of trope, you know, that, that idea that I have this inspiration and therefore everyone else needs to kind of do the hard work for me. You know, that that's a very seductive idea. Yeah. Too.
1: Although, uh, yeah, it depends on how many make it a parrot's you've got in you.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> it, like one make it a parrot might be a fluke because what you're not yeah. doing is the 99 yeah. times where he was like, make it a carrot. You know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a broken clock yeah. is right twice <laughs> right? a day, right? You know, it's that idea for sure. But it
1: is, you're absolutely right that, Make it a parrot by itself doesn't work, right? As in, like, if there is no John Cleese script Mm. in the first Mm. place,
0: Mm. then there's
1: no... Opportunity for Make It A Parrot to work. Like, Make It A yeah. needs John Cleese doing all that heavy
0: lifting. The 99% to have the, the, the perspiration. Make It A yeah. you know,
1: privilege. Yeah, I'm off to the pub. Make It A I'm off to the pub.
0: Yeah, yeah, that doesn't last long around me. No way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Make It A I've done it again. All right. <laughs> So um, the animation, Mm. you know, part of your your life and your career. Yeah. Was that, you know, as you said, like you've always been interested in, you know, theatre design, set design, visual representation of creativity, right? So that you can see that path immediately, you know. Totally. Through tripod, you know that love of, you know, pop culture, sci-fi, you know, cartoony, you know, that, I mean, it's been part of the palette with which Tripod has painted as well. So not surprising, you know, that animation is something that you would be interested in, but tell people about, you know, where that came into your life, what it means to you now, like tell us a bit about that part of your life.
0: Well, I mean, I try and be thankful because it it came through Tripod, no doubt about it, right? We got asked by a colleague to go and do some voiceover and some bit of music for a cartoon he was working on uh, up at a studio um up in Preston and uh that was the delightful Bruce Kane shout out Bruce big figure in my life mentor and uh, you know kind of friend and, and producer and a real uh, you know a, a real um force in that industry you know So then I kind of, we were on tour doing the dragon show, I think it was, and I was uh, amusing myself by doing sort of little animations and concepts, you know, in the sort of hotel room. And I got back from the tour and went to Bruce and said, um, what do you think of this as an idea for a for a series? And he's like, Yeah, that's that's fine, that's good. Let's let's keep that conversation going. But in the meantime, do you want to come and work for me as a storyboard artist, right? And so I was suddenly in it up to my neck, learning on the job very quickly. Bruce realised he he'd made a terrible mistake and moved me onto um, you know script because <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck I was doing at that point. And I've just sort of loved it ever since and st- sort of stayed in it as a, as firstly as you know. Uh, f- for a while as a writer and development person and then sort of easing back into kind of storyboarding and design. And um you know, it's just a great nexus of all the different things I've done over the years, you know, the kind of storyboard storytelling, the comedy, the music, I can, you know, I can talk to actors. I've I've been a performer, I know that language too, you know, I can sort of understand that bridge between the word and the the sound, you know, the the kind of the script and the the performance. As well as how as how the visuals kind of support that and, and, and can tell the story, so yeah i I just feel like that's where all my paths have have led and I, and I get an opportunity to use all those different sort of skills you know in kind of one area and the other thing I'm sort of enjoying about it now is you know when if you're a writer right and if there's not a gig on where you're working for someone else you you know you're you're creating your own ideas and your own kind of you know, concepts and, uh, you know, IP to use the the sort of very dry term. Then what do you do? Well, then you have to take them out and try and convince people to get on board and actually, you know, kind of help create those, bring those things to life, which means getting out amongst all the producers and having the conversations with the networks and going to the conferences and all that kind of producery side of life that I previously have let someone else do for me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and been happy to be completely naive about, right? So, so I've, you know, you take a couple of concepts out and you, you hit what you think is a wall, but then you realize actually what that is, is a really steep learning curve. So how, how serious are you about, about going up that, that curve? And that's where I'm at now. So I, I, you know, I divide my time between gigging for other productions and, um, and you know getting in amongst it with the, with the sort of development people and the network people and just trying to sort of gradually put shows together. And that's, I mean, that's a huge job and it may never happen, right? It could be just completely sort of, you know, quixotic, is that the word? Um, But I'm loving it, you know, and I'm loving the learning of it and the kind of understanding that there's this whole kind of side of the business that you and I have benefited from for, for however many years that, that the machinations of which were just not apparent to me at the time, you know, and, and. Yeah, I'm kind of liking
1: that. I'm really fascinated by that because I was talk- talking to somebody the other day about television production and, yeah, you know, I've been an executive producer on a couple of television shows. But the truth of it is that, like, the shows that I work on, there's kind of the three executive producers yeah, and we all sort of, it does of course overlap and we work as a team, but we also kind of just have three vague areas that are our strengths that like, yeah, that that person handles. So like Nick Murray, you know, like he's, He's taking the meetings with the ABC. He knows what cameras and how many crew and, you know, what the dimensions of the stage are and who designs this and how things are paid and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Polly Connolly, you know, she's the people person, you know. She knows about the guests and the staff and the, you know, everything else and – And I'm the creative person. I'm the creative Mm -hmm, producer mm -hmm. of the show, you know? Like, it's my job to make the final decision on on all the creative stuff. Like, But they're all overlap. Totally. And I technically get a say on all the things that they do. But I don't have a firm opinion on the things that they do. My opinion is that they'll sort it,
0: right? <laughs> you, yeah, you, you know what you're doing. Yeah, my you know opinion what you're doing. And sometimes is y- that is the most important thing to be doing. able to say yeah. is, I trust, yeah. is I trust you, you know, that, that's <laughs> crucial. Do you have like in writing sort of formal agreements on like, because different people have different attitudes to this, of like if there's a, you know, if we're actually genuinely butting heads on something the final decision falls to X, you know. Like, have is, that, impl- is that sort of legislated? We a,
1: no, we have an implied, heavily implied understanding <laughs> that <Yeah>. sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I would have preferred was in writing because yeah, occasionally yeah, sure. people yeah. wander into, like there is a point yeah. where occasionally in a creative argument, like I think that, yeah. again, like we, what we were talking about before is one of the greatest things, like early on when Nick and I worked together and he knows I've said this publicly, so this is not telling tales out of school, that he would like pipe up on some creative things in a way that sometimes I'd be like, I'm not piping up on your things. Like,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: what I realised was after a while, putting my own ego in that moment aside and actually Mm -hmm. like looking at it in a more realistic way, over a period of time, if I really wanted, even if he'd said the opposite, if I really wanted something, you know, I then mounted the argument or sooked enough or whatever it was to get my own way. Like I realised after a while that there'd never been a time where I hadn't eventually got my way, right? The principle had been tested and he might still Mm -hmm. have disagreed, but there was never a time where they're like, Like I got the final say regardless, which also it's ridiculous not to give the person who hosts the show the final say because they have the capacity (laughs) to take the final say. Well, I guess the editor has the the final say, right? But (laughs) the point being that I I realised after a while that the testing – it, it, like if you test the ideas, that's a good thing. And so right.
0: he's not he's not testing your position. No. He's not testing your talent or your no. authority. He's testing that idea, yeah. and that's a va- really valuable. Yes, that's yeah. right.
1: And if you can use that in a way to then have the like even be able to put aside your own ego and go, okay, even though I disagree with the diagnosis, no, yeah. even though I disagree with the cure that he is offering, yeah.
0: Maybe yeah, I agree with the, yeah, diagnosis. maybe he has yeah.
1: spotted something, and we're we're missing what it is right and
0: oh that's that's a huge part of um of my experiences of screenwriting for for producers and clients and so forth. if they'll tell you, uh you know oh, the first scene's not working, what you yeah. should do is yeah. thats nah. doesn't work, but if they say, well I, you know yeah. I didn't quite get there with the first scene, I felt this well, that's great, yeah. I can work with that right, oh, yeah, I can
1: explain this better like i yeah, yeah I've often had somebody come to my show and like. Yeah, when I'm saying, oh, this thing's not working. Can you have a look and mm. see what you think? And they'll they'll always identify the problem and the the solution's never right because they, they, they shouldn't yeah. be. They're not me, right? Yeah. Like, But I I don't need the solution. Just diagnose yeah. the problem. Tell exactly. me what the problem is because I can't quite work out what the problem is. You tell me yeah. what it is, I'll be able to fix it up.
0: It's unfair. Yeah. It's almost unfair to expect anyone else to understand the kind of nerves and tendons of the yeah. thing you've made better than you can, right, and the way everything connects yeah. to everything else, right? So in that sense, you've got to be the person who solves it in the end. Yes. You know, because you're so well-versed with how it works, you know.
1: Also, that's that intangible they're paying me for. Occasionally, yeah. you know, yeah. occasionally I am getting paid to, you know, Make it a parrot, right? Like (laughs) that sometimes that is your job as well. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, we've done all we can. We've written a great thing about a toaster. We've taken this shit as far as we can, but we pass you the baton right now. What do you got for us? (laughs) Wave your parrot (laughs) (laughs) blonde. (laughs) Um, I I wanted to ask you about this idea of learning how to do a new thing. So particularly that idea of going into that production world. The reason I actually brought up that whole thing we just talked about was Hmm. what I was actually going to say is I don't understand a lot about that world. And despite the fact that I have like a reasonably long resume of being an executive producer now, I actually don't know anything about the broader world of – I don't pitch, you know what I mean? Like I've ne- I've never yeah, had to totally. do the things that you've you're never needed about. to, yeah, yeah. yeah so for tell sure, me about sure. learning how to do that. Like,
0: <sighs> look, I mean, you know, the 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 f- certainly the sort of network television, network animation series, animation kind of world, which is the one I kind of paddle around in, is um. Look, it's both far more complicated and far simpler <laughs> than you think it is, right? <laughs> so it's like incredible, It's Byzantine the way studios connect with distributors, connect with networks, you know, and this is not just in this country but globally, connects with politics and the winds of change and where the funding is and, you know, whether you've just had 10, ten years of a right-wing government who are really explicit about trying to kill the arts, you know, like all that kind of stuff. It all, it all factors in, right? Um, so there's a lot of kind of technicalities to get your head around. So in that sense, it's, you know, it's, it's very complicated But in the end, what you arrive at is actually, it's very simple. I just need to sit down, create relationships of trust with people, listen to them, understand what they're looking for, you know, and and not be in in too much of a hurry, right, to understand that, okay, this, actually, this conversation I had six months ago might be relevant here, or this person might reach out to you out of the blue about a completely different project than what you spoke about. So it's never as simple as I'm going to take a, well, certainly for me, I'm going to take a pitch Mm in, someone's going to love it so much that they reach across, pull back a curtain and press a big red button, and suddenly I've got a television show. Like it's, it's, you know, it is nothing like that. And I think you can spend a lot of your time under that, under that, misapprehension that it's a simple world, you know, of sort of cause and effect. And it's not. It's just a huge ocean of different people with different agendas, different tastes and different kind of ways of communicating who are looking for, you know, different things. And all you can do is put yourself in front of people, meet them, get them to trust you and find the people you trust, kind of go from there, you know. I
1: mean, fuck me. That's like such a profound, like I know you're just talking about (laughs) this. I asked you specifically about this (laughs) thing, but that was such a profound comment in general about like so much of we confuse like to really make Mm. this a like you know we're gonna write a 12 rules for lifestyle you know (laughs) book and publish it but that analogy of we think it's about the pitch we all think it's the miracle pitch right I Mm. love this so much someone buys the project like that does that can be a project literally but it can be the metaphorical anything, the you know, pot of gold yeah. at the end of the rainbow, this thing, right? Yeah. S- people spend so much of their life trying to make it to get to this thing when a lot of the process is just hanging out your shingle. Fronting up, Right?
0: Yeah. yeah. And like Absolutely. you said, getting t-
1: I was talking to people, uh, someone, some young comedian about this recently. I said... I wish somebody would just make a speech to you at the start of being a young comedian and say, yeah. none of these people are your competitors. Th- these oh, people
0: that's huge. These yeah. people
1: are going to be the people, work out who you like because you're going to want to work with people because that's oh, what happens. For sure. Like people yeah. who come up together end up working. To, that's you, where you start to make these relationships, you know. That's you right. You know, either That's behind right. the scenes, on screen, in collaborations, in crossovers, in whatever way it might be. But you're you're actually hang hey, out. This isn't a competition. There is no magic yeah. gig that you're gonna do that is gonna, you know, break it yeah. for you and change everything. What's gonna change it yeah. for you is meet the right people. Like Say you're yeah. available and see what happens. One day you might be playing the, yeah. with the symphony orchestra.
0: <laughs> uh, 100%. That's so true. And that's why this idea of like, you know, people walk around in circles grumbling, say mm. it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I'm like, what other model of mm. human life have you been involved mm. in? Of course, it's who you know. I mean, it's, mm. it's relationships. It's pe- people working together, people having ideas mm. and calling each other up and going, hey, what if we did this? How is that mm. not who you know? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's kind of all there is. I mean, it's
1: know? always who you know like
0: yeah. who you know
1: though implies oh yeah like there's some secret level of society that controls everything yeah. and by the way there kind of is so I'm not saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we both know who we're talking about
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but, I, but yes who you know is that idea of of course it's who you know like yeah if there yeah. are two comedians that I'm considering for something and they are of equal, like, kind of general ability, and I know one of them and don't know the other one. (laughs) Of course, I mean, who am I? Like, am I a person who creates problems for myself where, like, I'm literally not employing a friend of mine over a complete stranger?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because I wouldn't want it to be who you you know. Right? Some general unspoken principle. That's right. And it's just that thing of people simplify mm-hmm. things to understand them and they take them to, take it uh-huh. too far, you know. And it, and what it leads to is these meetings, like, for example, pitch meetings where, where one person's walking in assuming the other person can mm-hmm. give them the thing they want without actually finding out whether they can or not, you know, mm-hmm. like wanting something from someone really in a really simplistic way I think can, you know, can end up wasting a lot of people's time, you know.
1: It's a really good lesson though, like mm. just in a broader sense of – that magic bullet, magic idea that we've all been sold. And we do get sold sold that fantasy in some way. And I think it's a really destructive way of looking at things because it does overlook the thing which is – and I say, I mean, again, I've talked about my work a little bit in this, but it just a lot of the things that you're saying have felt really relevant to it, which is often I want to just say to our team when like they're getting hung up on some – you know, way that we're going to unlock something or do something. I, I Sometimes I just want to simplify it and just say, I trust all of you that we will yeah. work this out. So let's stop yeah. forgetting about what we think is like just between us. I I don't think we need anybody else in this room for us to fix this up. You know, we've got all <laughs> the people and all the ideas and we've just got to like work together. Yeah. And I do think That's actually really what life is like as opposed to the idea that – and this is where it gets back to that, I mean, make it a parrot. It's going to be such the theme of this episode, make it a parrot. (laughs) But this is where the – yeah, make it a parrot can be really destructive. Yeah, is that
0: idea that it is this – Simple magic. Or a way that it can just – like
1: someone can wave a magic wand and everything's grey where – Actually, what most of the time to get something good done is you need yeah. a whole bunch of talented people working together in the same direction, mostly in the same direction.
0: And also understanding that you know all the bits that involve something good mm. at the end involve it usually being pretty bad,
1: <laughs> you know, the whole way, right? And
0: don't get distracted or d- discouraged by that, yeah, you know. Yeah. Like it's this idea of like Michelangelo looking mm. at a block of marble and going, "Ah, it's shit." Yeah, and it's like, dude, it's not finished. Yeah. It's still you, a block of marble, you know. At all, like to it's, be honest, you haven't bro. started, man. Come on, <laughs> don't be so <laughs> hard yeah, on yourself. It's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But people do that all the time. Yeah. Like, they're, I'm really discouraged by this. And it's like, well, you're looking at the thing you're making and making judgments about how it could be better. How is that not the process? You know, just keep at it. It's not finished. You know, like, it's fine. Keep chipping away and and, and be hard on yourself, sure, if you want. But don't let it you know, don't convince yourself that you're bad at it just because this thing is currently bad. I mean, it all starts bad. You
1: <sighs> I know? mean, that's hard though. Are you yeah. – like that's a really interesting and I believe correct thing to say. However, when you're in the bad
0: – Yeah.
1: Like I still – I mean, I've got to the point at least now where like with comedy festival and stuff that I've done shows enough – that I will be like. I know it will get good. I'm not worried about yeah. the fact that it won't get good. It's just yeah. how long. It's hard. And yeah, how, how hard am I going to have yeah. to work yeah. Yeah. to make it good? Yeah. Because some years mm. it's longer and harder than other years. <laughs> like eventually it For gets sure. good. But yeah. But.
0: Well, I would say if you're in that, mm. it's, and I've been there many times, but if you're in that, it's still bad yeah. process and there's 300 people staring mm. at you, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. tough. Those, <laughs> that, those stakes are pretty high. You know, like I get that. <laughs> but again, that's all the more motivation yeah. to, you know, to make a good. And also in, in our business, certainly the comedy festival, I mean, part of that model for me is part of the appeal is you just get to run the show so many times that you, you are literally out there on stage working it, you know, fixing it and, you know. So yeah, you just have to ki kind of remind yourself it's a it's a it's a journey. You're not you're not a you're not a phony because the thing you've you've knocked together is still feeling kinda of wonky, you know, like just You're a phony if you if you knock it together and think it's awesome straight yeah. away. I mean that's an alarm bell, you know, for me. <sighs> a lot of people don't know what they don't know, right? At least we know what we don't mm. know.
1: Yeah, it's so, I know, but that's a lot as well. Like, because I think sometimes <laughs> not knowing what you don't yeah, know well, is actually. Back to your earlier point helpful, is why
0: we got right? into the, Yeah, that's why we got into this in yeah. the first place, right? Like, through not knowing. Yeah. Look, it, it is true. And there was early
1: days where, like, I had. A good five minutes, by which I mean I had a good three minutes, which by today's yeah. <laughs> standards means I had no material at all. But uh, I thought I was great back then. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's certainly also easy to sort of sit in a podcast and make platitudes about yes. the creative process. But that's it's, this it's, is the place you know, for it.
1: Like, you know, it's contextual. Yeah.
0: This is literally
1: the point of having <laughs> this conversation is to be able to indulge these things yeah. that are about life, but also, like, I think they're both practical and they have broader implications because I do think that there is yeah. so much of the way we generally pitch life by mm. outside society yeah. And like so many contrasting messages between like we've taken away the moment at, and at the same yeah. time monetized mindfulness, you know. So totally.
0: this thing that yeah, is yeah,
1: necessary yeah. to us has just become yeah. part of this broader process of – and so so yeah. much of that like, you know, modern culture and like hustle culture and having to have three jobs and all these sort of things – like yeah. I think it's sold a little bit on that idea of yeah, but it's okay because one day you're going to walk into a, a room and make your pitch, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. The sharks yeah, yeah. are gonna, yeah.
1: you know, you just watch Shark Tank and you see all these people with these, you know, ambitions for like I'm here yeah. to roll the dice on like my shot. This is my moment. It is so much part of the broader culture.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and this idea of like I am. I am perfect, I am perfect, I am great, you know, as opposed to here's all these things I could be better at, you know. Like and what if you're not getting better at stuff, if you're not learning and and examining yourself the whole time, what's the fucking point, you know. Like I don't know what I'd do if I woke up one morning and said, there's nothing left to learn, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm done. I'm full. I think I'm done, (laughs) yeah. I mean I think there is a
1: point where people wake up and they decide to stop learning. Mm. that learning oh, is too hard yet. or that y- y- it's too confusing, that, you know, that yeah. the next generation, you don't understand it anymore so you're going to ignore it. I think there is a point where... Well,
0: I'm a little bit that way with my phone. I, like yeah. I'll hand that over to my 15-year-old <laughs> daughter and go, can you change the desktop? I I've, I've forgot how to do that in 2008. <laughs> know, you do have to prioritise, but I'll still try and teach myself, you know, sheet music. <laughs> I'll still do that.
1: Uh, Okay, you mentioned um, your family and, I mean, you've mentioned Emily already but uh, you also mentioned your daughter and, like, family, you know, being a father, you know, being a husband, those roles in life, were they things that you, when you were growing up, you thought, you know, was that kind of just part of if you pictured your your life, that's what it was going to
0: look like? Yeah, that was the presumption. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's great. Um, but I was always in that headspace, you know, suburban sort of family life, uh, you know, a child of divorce, right? So, uh, but that's not to say I didn't actually have a really idyllic childhood because my mum remarried pretty quick and, and you know, the, the my second father was absolutely my, you know, father figure and I had a great stable life. So, you know, no sort of tragedy here. But I, I kind of wonder if there's a certain amount of idealising that family unit a bit underneath there and some certainly some well-documented kind of father issues that sort of come out in my desire to be a good father to my to my daughter and to kind of break the chain there you know so yeah I mean look it, it took Emily by surprise when I when I said I wanted a family she she wasn't thinking that way at all but we were pretty young too when we got married we were like I was 20 I think I was 26 when we got married Um, but that was always the path for me. That's how I wanted it to go. But I didn't realize until my daughter was born that I had always assumed I was going to have a son. Oh. Like not until that very moment when I found out it was a girl, did I realize how, how certain I was that it was going to be a boy. You know, I hadn't even thought about it. That was just the picture. You know, so that's another one of those ones. You look back and you kind of go, mm, okay, I can sort of see where that came right. from, you know.
1: Wow. It's, I mean, it's so subtle though, isn't it? And so yeah. unthinking. And, um, but, you know, I mean, dad to a daughter, like that's oh. that's the dream, man. Like if you're going to have kids, yeah. I think that's your dream. Dad to a daughter.
0: Totally. Oh, I love it. I love it. And she's a mm-hmm. great kid. And, we're, you know, we're very blessed. She, she plays the piano and, and, you know, often we'll sit. Uh, you know, before dinner, and sing a few mm-hmm. tunes in in harmony. You know, in the in the in the in the living room. It's it's a really it's a good it's at a good place now. And she's a smart kid and everything. She she's funnier than me, which is always a scary <laughs> kind of moment where you realise your kid is funnier, smarter, fitter. No, no, you know, what's the next <laughs> like model? Basically, mate? I, I am a husk. Yeah. You know, I am uh, I am now irrelevant to the universe. Uh, you know? but, but mate, um,
1: like honestly, like we're both. You know, well, like you know. I'm 49, like you know, your similar yeah. age, right? Yeah. And uh, we look okay. We're fine. We've held ourselves yeah, together, okay. okay. When we were <laughs> growing up, like you know, 50 year olds look look oh, man. So of course, the next generation are going to be, you know, smarter and faster yeah. and well, fitter right. and stronger. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> that's
0: all true. Um, I remember thinking when I was like 12, yeah. oh, I'll be I'll be alive when you know the the year 2000 comes along, and then I kind of did a little on my fingers I counted how old I was going to be and I was like, I'll be 28. I'll be too old to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> having that thought. <laughs> uh, I ask people on this show,
1: obviously, the, the the central conceit of the show is I ask them if they have a life philosophy of any kind. Yeah. Do you have a – it can be in relation to anything. I bring it up just because we started yeah. talking about family and life more but um, sure. it can be yeah, in yeah. regard to anything. Do you have, do you have one?
0: Well, I use one, I, I do have one that I not only believe, but I often use to shit the guys in my oh, yeah. band because I'll say <laughs> it at certain moments in order to avoid answering a question oh, yeah. or whatever, um, which is it's all one thing. That's the that's the catchphrase in the band, it's all one thing. So <sighs> this bloody Scotty, he reckons it's all one thing. And I guess what I mean by, and you know, it's it's sort of a dumb joke in the band, but I also, it has a nugget of truth in it for me and that's that everything's connected the the world is far more complicated than you think so if anyone offers you either or propositions it's usually bears a second glance there's very few actual either or propositions out there you know um, if anyone's using the words never or always making an argument those probably mean that it's bullshit what what you're hearing you know so just the just this idea that everything's connected in so many ways and 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 you know, the world's a lot more complicated than we would like it to be. It's a comforting thought to imagine that, um, you know, that things are simple, but they're not. They never (laughs) are. They never
1: are (laughs) and they never have been. And this is the essential conundrum at the root of being a human being is that we crave simple solutions to something that is not simple.
0: And that is not simple. Like yeah. since
1: this like this is what religions were, right? Like it was yeah. an yeah. explanation for, you know, follow these rules and then you get to have this thing or this thing yeah. happened because of this thing. It's a simple solution to like something that is actually much more totally. complex than that. And as human yeah. beings, we have always yearned for And I thought maybe we were done with it, but the truth is the last couple of years with what happened during the yeah. pandemic and the way that people mm-hmm. responded to complexity versus simplicity and people look for simple answers and that manifested itself in a whole bunch of
0: destructive ways for the world and and didn't have any
1: time for complexity. Like it
0: is – I mean we're literally mm hardwired that way. Like it's no crime to want the world to be simple because we have to simplify things to understand that I'm looking at a phone on a table. My brain has to make an operation that reduces this – you know, noise that's going into my eyes into something (laughs) that I can understand, you know, in my brain, right? The idea of phone, you know, so like it's, you know, it doesn't make you a bad person, but it's something you have to always be on the lookout for. Right, right? but I I think
1: it certainly doesn't make you a bad person, but what does make you a bad person is (laughs) representing the idea that yeah, it is that thing that you're saying. It's the... You know, it's advertising, I think, did it in the first place, offered very simple yeah. solutions to complex problems, you know. Yeah. But politicians yeah. do it all the time. All the time. And they put yeah. everything in black and white and it's no good for anyone because they're constantly saying, yep, yeah, this is how we'll fix it, we'll do this thing, and which yeah. is never – and, and they, they can't. can't. And then yeah. they can't do it. Yeah. And then we all get mad that's at right. them for not being able to do something that they were yeah. never able to do in the first place, but they yeah, had right. to and say they people- could do because we wouldn't vote yeah. for them if they didn't give us a simple answer to a complex problem. It's <laughs> That's right. That's
0: right. And, you know, and it would certainly help – I mean, it would help if people understood how complicated, yeah, government was, you know, I don't want to get that person stomping around in circles yeah. saying, maybe we should use our, like, um, you know, Mikey money to fund Medicare. I'm like, how do you, what's the mechanism? Like, how do you get from that to that being real? Like, yeah. you know, like, do you understand how complicated and how, you know, and as, I mean, as, I'm, as you're alluding to this idea of like this massive conspiracy that involves every media company in the world and everything, like and all that. You know, these are people. It's like what I was talking about before. That's the core of it. They're all these different people with all these different agendas and the sooner you get your head around that, the better, you know. It's hard though because that's complicated. Yeah. Right?
1: It's not simple. It doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) So so I can see why the other guys are so annoyed when you bring it up. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I usually bring it up of, like, how many verses should this song have? Oh, it's all one thing. <laughs> just just avoid the question using that. I mean, that's how I use it.
1: <laughs> oh, man. So, okay. So, were you a person who, I mean, you've mentioned a few times the idea, you know, there's no multiverse, this is how, like, yeah. Do you mean that in the sense of don't, like, you know, believe what they're telling you in comic book movies, there's no multiverse, or oh, do yeah. you believe that in the sense of what's your, like, you know, I mean, I ask it, really what I'm trying to get to, this it's like a bit yeah. of a, I ease people into this process, but basically sure. what happens when we die? What do you, what do you think happens when we die?
0: Uh, look, I'm going to paraphrase Ricky Gervais here, same as when we're, before we're born, you know, um, I, I'm not a, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in, as I say, the interconnectedness of things. My my daughter, um, when she was very little, I was strapping her into a car seat and she literally looked me in the eyes and said, what's God mean, daddy? Mm-hmm. Right? And all I could come up with at the time, which I kind of stand by, is it's a code word that we use to describe the concept that everything's connected, right? That, that the universe is a huge, to be slightly trite about it a huge beating heart, right? It's it's one organism, right? That we're all part of and that different people have different words for that. And some people use the word God, right? That's, that's what I come up with. And I still sort of stand by that. So I'm not an anti-spiritual person, but I certainly don't get from there to a guy flying around on a cloud with a beard, making, you know, decisions about, you know, the universe and snapping his fingers and so forth. Like the actual idea of like this, you know, the, the sort of that Jesus was magic. I don't buy that, but I buy that we can learn a lot from the metaphor in religion, right? And I, I, and I apply that to life after death, right? The life after death is what you leave behind when you die. It's not what you experience having died. You're gone. You're dead. Your eternal soul is, it lives in the people around you and the people you're leaving behind and the lessons you've left behind, you know, and the, the sort of your legacy, right? That's, that's what, to me... That's what that, that those symbols are talking about, right? So that's, yeah, that's my answer. You're dirt, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a good answer because it, it gets me to the heart of, I guess, this conversation in general, which yeah. is that if you believe – I, I don't know if you know this, but Ricky Gervais, he's an atheist. but I, um, <laughs> <laughs> He's a fundamentalist atheist. <laughs> he keeps it pretty quiet on the downline. He's an evangelist, fundamentalist atheist. Doesn't believe in God. Doesn't think God's real <laughs> yeah. Ricky Gervais. And <laughs> Uh, I have heard that. Oh, that rumor's getting getting around. It's yeah, yeah. Like yeah.
0: A, no, that's a fight I'm constantly yeah. trying to start with Tim Munshin yeah. as well. <laughs> we <laughs> I was like, like, come on, back Tim, back. tell us what you really think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but so. I also probably, you know, that's probably what I would think about. We were whatever we were before, which was as far as I can remember, nothing, right? You know, energy matter, blah, 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 whatever way you want to frame it. And I also absolutely subscribe to the fact that there is something, I need an explanation beyond we are like just a thing that happened in the corner of an ever-expanding universe. Sure. Like, by accident just because the right temperature and like, you know, whatever, just because that happened, this happened. I mean, if that's true, do you know what I mean? Like the fact that there's a universe full of either nothing or stuff we can't see or understand and then in the corner of it, it's not just like frogs yeah. and stuff, but like <laughs> you know I mean, like a couple of frogs, I'd be like, okay, like, <laughs> I can deal with this. But like fully grown humans with all our complexities and weirdness and our own creativities and you know yeah. maybe what we will develop that might become the next evolution of you know what it means sure. to be a human being. You know, you can see. Well, I
0: think we're looking at well, it right we can now, see that
1: yeah. in our lifetimes, yeah. right? We've seen yeah. some of yeah. it happen already in our lifetimes. Yeah. And there is something about this that feels more than just—is this really just gases and you know the right gases and organisms and blah blah blah? Yeah.
0: I mean, when people hmm. say "Is this all there is?" you know, you hear that phrase. "Is that all there is?" I'm like, that's that's
1: a bloody lot. lot. (laughs) That's (laughs) what what I mean. mean, mean, It's a lot. Look around. (laughs) That's. I'm like, maybe there is some beard cloud guy because this is a lot.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I just did that yeah. idea of simplification, you know, people taking, uh, you know, scripture, mm. the religion. I mean, I was educated pretty religiously, so I'm not, you know, so I'm kind of familiar with the, the, the source text, yeah. people taking that and needing it to be literally mm. true, leading, needing it to be fact, I think vastly reduces its power. I mean, you know, you could, you, hopefully you can look at my career and go, that guy believes in storytelling, right? Like, mm. and I do, and I think there's a huge amount of generational wisdom in, in you know, religious texts and a huge amount of kind of lessons that we can learn if we're brave enough to not simplify it to fact, you know, not simplify it to kind of, you know, a, a historical document because it, it ain't that. It's a lot more than that. You know? I mean,
1: it says something about us as human beings that we will fight yeah. wars over which religion is the true religion yeah. rather than us like get one person in a room to read all the books and go, look, i got to be honest with you, <laughs> I, I've come up with an, 20 common core principles that I think we'll all actually agree on. Like yeah. I've got references, yeah. I can point to, like we all agree with this do unto others thing. Like we were yeah, a bit different, yeah. but it's in all of them, guys. Like that's 100%. Right, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right, that's right. I mean, t- take yeah. the Garden of Eden, just talking metaphor, yeah. like the Garden of Eden story. I mean, think about it now, right? One reading of it is, you know, if you, if you oversubscribe to the, the beauty of your own intelligence and become a kind of narcissist about the amazing, you know, shit you can think up, well, then you'll start to lose connection with the garden mm-hmm. around you. Now, how is that not a philosophy? How is that not a, a, a prediction, you know, a prophecy, right? This is what we're going through as a race right now. We're, 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 you know, we're hypnotised by the mirror of our own technological and capitalist brilliance and meanwhile the garden around us is withering. So, like, if that's, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's not the only way to read that story. but it's No, one but it's a, if, a good way you... to read that story. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's right. like
1: <laughs> it's a relevant to today way to read that story without saying that's what that story was about. It was warning us about yeah. mobile phones. <laughs> like, yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 you know, there's knowledge and wisdom in the fact that it gets you to engage with an idea, right? Well, exactly. Like, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's interesting to me though because, you you know, you've referenced the the phone and this evolution of our, you know, where we are as human beings. Mm. It's funny that the thing that I've noticed is that when you're in the middle of, Of humanity changing forever. No one's really having a discussion about the fact that that's what's happening. I mean, I know some people are, but as a, I just kind of felt like, as a broader public, if, like, if, because this is clearly like, you know, equivalent or, you know, beyond the industrial age, right? Like in what's happening at the moment, the internet age. And I think we're at that age where half of our lives was kind of lived without it. And then we've seen this completely new world, right? Like that has opened up. Yeah, we're on that
0: pivot. And is
1: continuing to open up and open up more with the possibilities AI and whatever else might be the next evolution of these things. And we are hurtling forward like at, Great momentum in some ways,
0: and you feel like you're ringing the bell in the storm, and no one can yes. hear you, right? Just yeah, <laughs> like or at least going, aren't
1: we meant to be having a more broad, like just the way we let the yeah. internet poison oh. our waters at the expense yeah. of the good stuff we got out of it, right? Like it if, sold yeah, us if, all this yeah. good stuff. And now yeah. we're looking at all the ways that it's also like fucked us up with like data mining and influencing our oh, decisions totally, and pornography that. addiction and all these like disastrous effects to like how people communicate with each. I mean it revolutionised totally. our society too. Like now you just can't be on public, its own doom. public without people looking at their phones or whatever. And,
0: oh, you know, it's crazy. I, I often draw yeah. pictures when I'm on the tram on the way to work and, you know, it's 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 just – always a picture of someone looking at their phone that's all i've got you know and uh, yeah it's crazy i mean look when just to your point if you had to choose any group any profession any group of people out there in the world to all band together and decide the fate of humanity and how we communicate and what's good for us and how to be productive and happy do you think tech bros would be the ch- the people you you know you point at and go here we're going to hand the reins of humanity over to you know to to you they, i mean there are people out there who have spent their life kind of studying, you know, the human condition and human happiness and human kind of as I say productivity. I don't think it's tech bros who've done that. Right, um, and when, know, well, and th- then
1: when an Elon Musk says something like, hey, I'd like to help solve world hunger, like how would I do this? And a whole bunch of people who've been researching how to do that say, oh, we've actually got a great plan. We're experts and we've yeah. spent years formulating this. All you need to do is this. And he goes, oh, you know what, I might buy Twitter instead. Like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> like they're not the people who should be in charge of – like that's a good idea yeah. regardless of whether Elon Musk can do it. Yeah. Like, yeah, the the big the part of that story that everyone's ignoring is there's a group of people with a plan that can fix world hunger. It's achievable, <laughs> right? Like the plans right
0: here. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, crazy. Yeah, look, uh, you know, and it's this idea also of like the, the 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 sort of the sexiness of 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 disruption. Oh yeah. Which doesn't take into account whether you've got a better idea yeah. or not. You know, disruption like, for disruption's you know, that,
1: sake. You mean?
0: Yeah, 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 which is, you know, we're all sort of biting the bullet. I mean, I just wonder how many people, how many musicians are in the room when the day Spotify gets designed. Not not many, I suspect. And that is disruption at what cost, right? I mean, we're seeing it now with the, with the streaming kind of the collapse of the sort of streaming industry, you know, it's like we, we, we destroyed linear television as an idea and now this thing we've replaced it with kind of doesn't work, you know, because it hasn't had that hundred years to kind of refine itself as a system and kind of work out the kinks, you know. Oh
1: yeah. And, and, or in the case of like a company like Uber or whatever that come in and like, disrupt everything like turns out Mm. are absolutely a terrible unsustainable company with all these terrible practices but they destroy the other industry so much that you're like oh well this is all we're left with now is this like (laughs) shitty horrible company (laughs) that we have to like you know support
0: can we go back to talking about cartoons this is depressing it is depressing
1: (laughs) but and you don't want to be like that old the sky is falling person like i think that yeah and this is not certainly my perspective on it by the way like I just think that I'm surprised how quickly things change without us yeah. ever having a conversation about whether it's a good – we just accept all these changes yeah. as being inevitable rather than just oh, going, sure. do we want them? Do we,
0: yeah, that's right. And that's if right. we do a want classic. them, who
1: do we want in charge of these? Like you said, who who 100%. do we want in charge of the decisions?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know priests yeah. aren't real popular at the moment, but if I had to choose between priests and tech bros mm. to decide the <laughs> sort of path forward, you know, it wouldn't be an easy. No, at know.
1: least at least you'd have it's to think no about. It's not a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So when you have like a, you know, a child who's in this new age, right, like, Mm. because one of the things that I think about a lot is because my sister's kids are all, you know, like, you know, teens going to that age where they're going to go out into the world by themselves now. And, you know, it is a very different world. Everything's being recorded. You know, there's a camera everywhere anyone goes. And Mm -hmm. like. You can't make your mistakes in private anymore. There can be a yeah. record of those things on your phone or on your, For you know, sure. whatever yeah. page or like whatever, you know. Yeah. Um how do, how do you negotiate that? Ugh.
0: Every day, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you look. It's an ongoing thing. I mean, I, I worry about their kind of resilience and their kind of, uh, you know, resourcefulness and all those sorts of things. It's it's a psychologically. It just flat out drains your happy yeah. chemicals, right? Looking at a looking at a you know screen all day. There's just no doubt about it, especially when a kid's going through that metamorphosis of teenhood anyway and it's, you know, there's enough, you know, just coming out of COVID not to mention and really kind of trying not to think about climate change on the horizon and all these factors Mm -hmm. for a young person now that make it, you know, I can't believe they get out of bed to be (laughs) honest. But um, I don't know, you just kind of try and model good behaviour to the extent you can and and fess up when you've fucked up, you know, like... uh, I have no magic silver bullet about that. I'm lucky my kid's a good kid, but that could just as well be, you know, to do with their mum than me. Um, I try, you know, I mean, we try and have these com- yeah. sorts of conversations we're having today, Will. And like, do kids you know, have about- an
1: awareness of, like, from your point of view, from what you know of her and her friends, yeah. and do they have an awareness that this thing that brings all this, like, fun and social interaction and is so much part of their lives also – like has a, like a downside, a negative side to
0: it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Nell and her mates do because, you know, th- their parents and us are, you know, constantly on about it and won't let them sort of forget it. And, I'm, you know, my alarm just went off whilst we were recording because I have to send a update on how much phone use she's had today because we, we, we monitor that and, we you know, she's got a limit and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's certainly a conversation that's going on certainly in the, you know, comfortable north side bubble where we live but um i can't speak you know more broadly they they i think they're aware of it i think there's you know they're all, they're trying to use it positively and trying to recognize the negativity and there's a lot of education in schools and stuff about it now too about the the pitfalls of it but um i don't know man like i was thinking yesterday about like i you know it's it's so hard to as an individual in this massive Huge kind of vast movement of of civilization to feel like you you know you can't just kind of turn the wheel right and and have feel like you have a huge effect on the way things are going. So it's all you know. I just always come back to Gandalf, right? As I was always going to. You know, in in the in the minds of Moria, they sort of stop, and Frodo sort of says, you know, he sort of like, well, they look, they get to talking, and Gandalf sort of basically turns to the camera and says what the whole book's about, which is we can't, we can't affect what times we were born into. That's not up to us. Well, the only thing that's up to us is putting one foot in front of the other and trying to make good decisions you know, good decisions about the thing that's right in front of you, right? So that's, that's something I try and teach, teach now. You
1: know? uh, what is the best or worst piece of advice that you've ever received in your life?
0: Oh my God! Be yourself. That's No, no, I'm kidding. Um, gee, that's a tough one. I th- look. Something springs to mind. I wouldn't necessarily say it's the best, but you know, just uh, just dovetailing with the idea of priests. I remember uh, at my school, uh, as I was, a, I had a speech to make in front of the whole school for whatever reason, and just before, I, and I was nervous, and just before I went out there in front of the mic, the, the school priest said to me, who's, who was normally a fairly sort of hawkish character and quite scary, but um, he said to me, um, they want you to succeed. This is from, from a performing point of view. Just bear in mind, they don't want you to fail. They want to have a good time. They want you to succeed. So be empowered by that. Allow yourself to, to, be, the per, to be that person. There's nothing but support out there, um, at least when you first go out there. Unless it's late and live, At 1 a.m. in 1999. That's a different (laughs) catalyst.
1: Well, they're not there to. But that was always good advice.
0: Yeah, no, they're there to throw shit at you
1: just tell you to fuck off. (laughs) Psychologically. (laughs) To implant themselves in your memories forever. (laughs) That's what they're there for. That's that's what they're there for. (laughs) Like, (laughs) let's go out tonight and give a comedian a memory to carry around to haunt them for the rest of their life. (laughs) That's right. Who's the real performer in that room? (laughs) (laughs) Who's the audience? Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. but you know that's always been an empowering bit of informa- yeah. bit of information for me, and I've I said it to my my daughter when she went in and and did a singing concert recently. You know, don't feel like they're your enemy. You know, don't don't walk out there thinking that they're not they're not, you know, not, they're not there to see you fail. They've paid their money. They're there to see you succeed. You know,
1: it is a hard one to remember, but it is very good advice. Yeah. Um, on my desk, I used to have a, a little motivational sort of slogan on a little piece of stone. And it asked the question, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And the way that I used it was more to remind me that if, imagine if the thing, this is, I'm going to tell you what it was for me first, then it can be, I'll tell you what it can be for you. But like, I, for me, it was always about imagine this was successful. What would you have wanted it to be? Right. Totally. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if this became really successful, what would you be most happy if this was the thing, right? And then and try that's to a, see it through that prism.
0: Totally. And it's a core it's a core mechanic of what we do. We we sit and fantasize about a thing and imagine it being successful, and then we set set about trying to make that weird idea that just popped into our head into a concrete thing in the world. You know, that's you have to fantasize. How, where would you start if you didn't fantasize? Right? So
1: uh, if you were assured of success, so you, yeah. there was no risk. What would
0: you attempt? Here's where here's where I land when you ask me that question. If I'm assured yeah. of success, what's the yeah, point? That's a good answer. What am I going to mm. learn from that process? Nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like life's not like no. that, you know. If I could pr- pull a curtain back and press a big red button and have a cartoon, mm. yeah. <laughs> do that. It's just not like that, no. right? Like you know, if I was assured, okay. The obvious answer is I'd solve climate change. Good.
1: That's good. You know what? It's a good answer, though. It's actually a very good answer. i like to first answer the best because I think you're right in that if it were a personal thing, what's the point if you haven't earned it? Mm. The whole point is Mm. that you earned it. The reward is for the earning. If it's just about the reward, whatever that might be itself, then Yes, yes, yeah, of course. And, you
0: know, and success retards learning <laughs> mm-hmm. too. Like, you know, it's only the mistakes where you learn, so. But uh, climate change is also a of, good
1: idea. <laughs> if climate you can change fix that can up, Give also me that big be, red yeah, button. that'd be good. Thank you. <laughs> hey, um, what can we plug for you? Is there anything you want to
0: plug? Look, what, what, uh, Look, why don't people just come to my my Instagram? It's just my drawings, right? Scodman is fine. S-C-O-D-M-A-N-I-S-F-I-N-E. Because there, anything that's going on in my right. life, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about. And there's, there's a heap going on, including, <laughs> including my current passion project, which is a, a tribute band called the Billy Joel's. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a great source of joy for me at the moment, is getting up in front of people and wrecking a bunch of Billy Joel songs. It's, it's absolutely one of the great pleasures in life.
1: Do you do We Didn't Start the Fire? Yes, we do. Did you see that Fallout Boy did an updated version of "We Didn't Start the Fire"? About, I heard about it. I haven't.
0: I haven't listened to
1: uh, it yet. Um, so, I was uh, listening to Never Not Funny, which is Jimmy Pardo's podcast, and they were talking about the fact that yeah. they were annoyed that in the Billy Joel version, they're essentially in vaguely chronological order, right? Like, I mean, yeah. not exactly, like, but. Yeah generally you're moving through time, whereas in the Fallout Boy sure. one it's like all over the shop
0: and it They're doesn't look like the they shop. haven't put the same. Yeah, because it rhymes, yeah, it rhymes <laughs> yeah.
1: basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And,
0: no, this is why Billy Joel yeah. is one of the great artists of exactly. our time because he can do yes, both. Exactly. He can tell a story <laughs> and rhyme. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, why Billy Joel? Like I, I've got a soft spot for Billy Joel. I saw – yeah. Billy Joel do a, oh, God, who was it? It was two great entertainers. They toured Australia when I was at high school. It was Billy Joel. It can't have been Billy Joel and Elton John though, right?
0: It wasn't Ray it was, Charles. No,
1: it was Billy Joel and anyway, I can't remember. But like I, the, the, my memory is Billy Joel from that night sure. and just how. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's amazing fantastic. Amazing real... Billy Joel was. And then I was in New York yeah. one night when he was doing one of those, you know, shows yeah. he's been I, doing I was for at one of those shows. so long. And I was just like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've got to go and see this. And again, I hadn't really even listened to a lot of Billy Joel in between those two events other than the just general amount of Billy Joel you hear, you yeah. know, yeah. just going about yourself in yourself the world. And
0: Which, by the way, if you grew up in Glen Waverley in the 80s, is a fucking lot of Billy Joel. I mean, I mean that was everywhere. I'm not sure
1: that I've ever owned a Billy Joel album, but I confidently like <laughs> knew 80% of the songs that he did at the show. Yeah. So, and totally, was able totally. to sing along to about 80% of all those yeah. songs as well. Like even we yeah. didn't start the yeah. fire, I could give you a <laughs> yeah. fair go Well, out. that's why I love this yeah. gig
0: because it's just it's like very yeah. simple. There's no bullshit. We're not trying to do anything fancy. We're just getting in a room playing with some great musos and letting the audience sing along and just having fun. And we're mucking around with the feels and uh-huh. everything as well. Like it's musically kind of silly and interesting uh, because you know, Casey Bonetto is the other guy who's um, kind of fronting the band. And obviously Casey's just an absolute whack job. He's a he's compl- he's total genius. So, you know, he could just take a left turn into a Carol King song right in the middle of the tune and we all have to like keep up, right? So it's a really <laughs> enjoyable, fun, silly kind of outing. Um, but it's as you say, and look, I think to his merit, he's like he's just one of he's just the last of the great mm. old school Tin Pan Alley composers, right? With all the classical songwriting skills, like I'm, I am joking, but I'm kind of not joking when I say he can tell stories and rhyme, and he's got this command of rhythm and melody, and all, just all the classic kind of pillars of classical songwriting is is he, he's a master of. So you know it's just. And it's just that thing of like, oh, that one as well. Oh, that one as well. It's just bangers all the way down, you know. <sighs> um Okay, two more questions. Uh, <laughs> okay. if, I, if you could wake up tomorrow,
1: like you don't have to do your 10,000 hours, you just have this skill. It can be anything, any skill, any way sure. you want to interpret that. But what skill would you just love to have? This isn't, this is less about the, like, the learning how to do it is the thing, but this is more the, mm. is there something that you've always lo- wanted to be able to do or, you know, that, mm. you, ha- that you don't have the talent for?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, um, You know, steering a little bit clearer the vast can of worms that is that word talent, (laughs) right, (laughs) and (laughs) whether that's a real thing. Um, Aptitude. um, Aptitude, aptitude, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's just that question of like, again, inspiration versus perspiration. (sighs) Well, I mean, if I could wake up tomorrow and do something really well, it would be play the piano, like really well. Like, I, I, you know, I can sort of play the piano. I've devoted a big chunk of my life to trying to learn how to play the piano and I can kind of bluff my way through it. So I would have a clear conscience that I'd already put in a fair bit yeah, of time I've, on it. You, you know, you I mean. can just get me the rest of the way. I've done yeah. my perspiration. <laughs> that's right. You know what? <laughs> yeah. I've written a sketch about
1: a toaster. And what I need,
0: <laughs> surely that's enough. Just give me one.
1: Give me one parrot. That's all that's I just ask for. One. Just one, please. (laughs) Just give me a little leg up. (laughs) Um, All right. Thank you very much for doing the show. I've got one more question and then we're done. Um, If I had a time machine and I could take you to any point in time, future or past, and uh, no consequences, no – like as in firstly, no timeline consequences. It doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to – fuck up everything forever. This is purely a hypothetical question. And secondly, you don't have to do anything socially responsible. You don't have to warn people about climate change. You don't have to kill sure you don't have sure. to kill Hitler unless killing Hitler is your pet project that you've always wanted to do mm. regardless of the effect on humanity. And <laughs> then that's fine, sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, look I'm a giant kind of dark ages Mm -hmm. nerd, Uh, you know, and it's this idea of the dark, is is that, is that term the dark ages actually kind of bullshit because people are actually pretty smart throughout history, right? And so I would love to go to kind of Northumbria in the sort of eight hundreds, you know, and observe the kind of oncoming (laughs) sort of Viking situation and the various complex politics of like Northern England around that time and the way people were charging around arguing about Christianity and and how that was battling against paganism at the time and the kind of resourcefulness it would take to function as a leader in such a kind of, you know, tidal sort of sweeping kind of time and just just to find out what kind of people they were, right, and like whether they were a good hang, like how different they were to the way we are now, you know.
1: It's fascinating, isn't it, because...
0: Yeah. cuz we don't really know. <laughs> no, we don't and we can sort of go in yeah. their writings. The other one, can I have two? Yeah. Cuz the other one would be I'd love to be on the on the tour of um, Lake Como with Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley and um, their mate Dr. I think his name was Polydorus or something. That was a just a, a very debauched, very intense v- pivotal moment in the history of literature and I reckon that would have just been so fascinating to be with those guys. <laughs>
1: Is that too weird? Yeah, it's pretty weird, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so
0: much for doing this, mate. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, It was a good podcast until I stumped him with my Lord Byron thing.
1: Listener.